Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. What a joy to be able to, to be here together. This morning we had joy and I always love baby dedication mornings because there's food outside and the parents bring the, the snacks also nice. No, this morning we just had the joy of dedicating six gorgeous little girls to the Lord. And you know, as I was praying, I was obviously we've been as a church and you guys have been around, we've been speaking about Philippians chapter three quite a bit this year. Specifically that bit where Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to suffer with him that one way or another I may attain the resurrection of the dead. We've been speaking a lot about that. And this morning, you know, as I was praying for the children and just thinking about what do we share around a moment like that, I was reminded of just a a couple of chapters before the same letter. It's still the Apostle Paul, still writing to the church in Philippi. Just two chapters earlier was where I'd like us to start in Philippians chapter 1. And He's made some introductory remarks, and then he says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. I want us this evening to consider just for a moment what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven living on earth. For those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, who have put our faith in him, Something really powerful happens in our hearts and in our lives, and it's important that we realize this, that we are not citizens primarily of South African citizens. We may be here with a South African passport and South African ID number uh, or Zimbabwean or whichever nationality we're from. We may even be able to vote in an election in a couple of weeks' time, and next week we're going to have some fun. We're going to be sharing a little bit about how do we decide where to make that cross Just biblically, scripturally, how should we approach our election choice? Church and politics, you know, as Rico said, what could go wrong? Hey, but we'll give it a try next week. I figure the whole world is telling us how to vote. Maybe the church should have a voice in that as well. And next week, we're going to spend some time just looking at that a little bit. Because we're citizens of Africa, if we are, and we get to vote. And we'll speak about this a little bit next week. But we're not primarily citizens of South Africa. First and foremost, we're citizens of heaven, but yet we live for us here in Pretoria at the moment. What does it look like for us to be citizens of heaven, followers of Jesus, living here on this earth? We should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know, and this is a beautiful picture, just a glimpse of what something of citizenship of heaven looks like, reflected here on this earth. Then I will know, Paul writes to them, that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You see, inherent in Paul's understanding of citizenship in heaven is a community, a unity, a coherency, a coming together. We're saying we are standing together. We're fighting for the faith. That there is something that binds us together as citizens of heaven here on, on this earth with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And I wish we could spend so much more time just speaking about the privilege of suffering. 
We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past. He's talking about the fact that he's imprisoned and he's going through some stuff in his own personal life, just physically and the challenges that he's in. And you know that I'm still in the midst of it. And then chapter 2, and just a reminder, when we read the letters, when Paul sat down and he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, he didn't stop every couple of words or every couple of sentences, make a little superscript, and you know, next verse starts here, and then, you know, after he's written down a thought, he stops and he makes a, a big heading, chapter 2. I don't know when you last he wrote the letter. Do we still write letters in the modern age? You know, when you write a letter to your mom or to a friend or to a loved one, you don't sort of start chapter 1 and then the first couple of paragraphs and chapter 2. And then when Paul wrote letters, it was the same. There wasn't a chapter 1, chapter 2. It was just one letter. And it's good for us when we read sometimes to remember that we don't have to stop where the chapter ends. Most likely what is written in chapter 1, the thought carries across. So we can just carry on reading. You've seen him, I struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And I hope for those of us that are here who are following Jesus, we'd give that a big resounding yes. There is much joy in following Jesus. There is much encouragement from belonging to him. There's much comfort from his love. There's much fellowship together in the spirit. Our hearts are tender and compassionate. We says, if that is the case, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Some of us need to delete our Instagram. Just kidding. Okay. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but I take an interest in others too. And these words are, are really powerful words. If you were to kind of just sit down and kind of maybe you have at times and just meditated on these words and you know those are pretty high requirements of you and me. All of this is still part of Paul's description as citizens of heaven. How should we live here on this earth? And one of the things that I've just realized more and more as I've been reading the Word, studying the Word, getting to know Jesus is this little bit of a hard reality that if I want to follow Jesus, if I truly, authentically, genuinely want to follow Jesus, as I believe most of us here this evening want to, then I don't get to choose what that looks like. I don't choose what it looks like for me to follow Jesus. I don't say, well, listen, when I'm following Jesus, then these are the things that I apply in my life. And, you know, I know the Bible says these, but I don't really like them, so I'll just give them a skip. And Because what are we doing then? We're not following Jesus, then we're following ourselves. What we're doing then is we're saying, well, I'll decide the way that my life looks. And Jesus may have some really good ideas and good things and, that are good to follow, and I'll incorporate them in my life. But there's some stuff that I don't quite agree with, I don't like, it's uncomfortable. And, yeah, and then we say, no, God has grace. <laughs> yes, God does have abundance of grace. But Paul also writes very clearly that as citizens of heaven, we should live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And you and I don't get to decide what that looks like. What we do get to do is pray through it, read the scripture and say, okay, Jesus, what does it look like for me, Philip, in Pretoria in 2019 to be a citizen of heaven? 
How do I take that which is in the scriptures and translate it throughout the ages, throughout the centuries to where I am today and still be absolutely 100% coherent with what you meant when you wrote those words? I'm a citizen of heaven. Following Jesus means that we don't get to choose what that looks like. And following him isn't always comfortable. You may remember a story of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. You know, he's got everything that a young, that is anything that any person wants. He's rich, he's young, he's got authority. You know, those are the three things that kind of when we're young, we, when you're old or we're young, we, we all want that kind of, I want to be young again, I want to be rich and young. That's an even better converse, combination. But now I'm rich and young and I'm a ruler, I'm authority, I'm, I'm set up for life. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to follow you? And Jesus puts a really hard bar down for him, a really hard bar. And the guy walks away exceedingly sad. We don't know how he responded. We don't know if he obeyed. But we do know that Jesus didn't say to him, just be nice and do what is comfortable and you feel like doing if you want to follow me. No, Jesus put down a high bar. He said, if you want to follow me, this is what's going to take for you to follow me. And as we're here, committed to following Christ, I love that we get the word. And as we read this passage, it's sort of about being citizens of heaven. One thing that you may come, realize comes through in all of these passages we've so read so far this evening, they all require community. They speak about human interaction. Deep commitment to human interaction. I need to not only look out for myself, I need to look out for the interests of others. I need to esteem others better than myself. I mustn't try and press anybody. All of that is talking about relationship. It's talking about community. It's talking about people gathering together. I wonder if I was to ask us this evening to quickly jot down the Ten Commandments in your head, jot them down really quickly. And then Jesus comes and is this the, the followers, actually the rabbis and the chief priests, they come to Jesus, the religious rulers, and they ask him, what are the most important laws? Laws <laughs> are very important, but what are the most important laws? And they say to him, well, obviously we need to love God and we need to love, our, we need to love God with our heart and mind. And Jesus said, that's exactly right, but can I give you a new commandment? Which, by the way, if you've read all of the Old Testament we didn't explicitly say this, but it's sort of implied throughout it all in the law and the prophets. And maybe you missed it. He says, let me give you a new commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. How many of you put loving one another, loving your neighbor in the list of ten commandments? <laughs> it wasn't there. It was never one. That's why Jesus says, let me give you a new commandment. That we love one another, and that's pretty great and pretty cool and pretty nice. But then he moves it into the realm of the impossible when he adds this little, how we must love, as I have loved you. See, the reality is I cannot love my wife as Christ has loved me. I cannot love my daughters as Christ has loved me. I cannot begin to love my neighbor as Christ has loved me. 
And yet that's the expectation that Christ puts on your life and on my life. That's the instruction, the commandment. It's not the new suggestion. It's not the, hey, I'm going to give you guys a bar that you can never attain, but that's sort of an ideal to maybe work towards. It's not what he says. He says, let me give you a commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And that's a pretty bold, pretty powerful statement that he makes. If it was just love one another, you know, that would, that would already be kind of, okay, we can give that one a go. And he moves into the realm of the impossible. And he realizes that the only way we can do that is if we allow the Holy Spirit to breathe over our human interaction. You see, community is central to the gospel. Community is not a nice extra ideal that we add on. It's essential for, Christ, for authentic Christian life and growth. Let me phrase that a little bit differently. It is impossible for you to become and to grow as a follower of Jesus outside of community. It's impossible to follow Jesus outside of community. As a matter of fact, let me put it the maybe same thing phrased differently. If you're authentically following Jesus, one thing I can guarantee that he will lead you in is he will lead you in to community. He will lead you towards people. We live in a culture, we live in a society that perhaps we've realized drives us towards individualism. I remember many years ago, I've told the story a number of times because it impacted me so deeply. I was at a conference in America, a missions conference. 20,000 people at the conference, just the people committed to taking the message of the gospel to the globe. There was a Kenyan bishop who did one of the sessions and gave this powerful illustration and they forgot to tell him that you're meant to be nice to your hosts, but he was true to the gospel. And I remember him standing up and telling this account, a parable, if you will, of theologians coming together. And there were a group of Western theologians and there were a group of New world, whatever you want to call it, African, Asian, theologians, whatever, coming together. And they came together and they prayed together and they shared together. And they said, hey guys, we've got a great idea. Why don't we choose a passage of scripture and we dig into it, we work through it, we pray through it. And then next week when we come together again, one of us comes and we share the core message of that scripture, that passage. And the following week when we came back, then the other party also brings the core message of that passage. They thought it's a great idea and they chose the story of Joseph. Joseph who gets sold by his brothers into slavery. For those of us who are not familiar with the story, he's born, he's, he's sort of his, his father's pride and joy. His father had basically four wives and his first wife, or his second wife because of a big mix-up, but anyway... <laughs> crazy story. The wife that he really loved couldn't bear children. Eventually she bore a child and it was this boy, Joseph. And it's his dad's pride and joy, the apple of his father's eye. And his other brothers get jealous and they sell him into slavery. Goes to Egypt as a slave and they want to kill him. The oldest brother says, killing is maybe a bit extreme, but let's sell him. So they sell him because that's, you know, not quite as bad as killing him. And he gets taken off to slavery as Egypt, and he works there as a, as a servant, and excels in just serving because he's a man of integrity. And Stuff happens, not his fault. He gets framed. He ends up in jail for a long time. They forget about it. The Bible says they forgot that he was in jail. 
He has dreams. People around him have dreams and visions. He interprets the dreams. Long story short, eventually he comes out of jail and he gains favor with the, the king, the pharaoh, and he becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And so they come, so that's just the, the fact story, and then obviously is the interpretation. What does that mean? How do we apply that to our lives? And I went and I prayed, and the first group came together, the Western theologians. And they came together, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they got the message, and they got up, and they got their best communicator to communicate, to preach the message. And he preached the message powerfully, and he came to the end, and he said, the key message, the central theme of the story of Joseph is that it doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter how bad your life has become. It doesn't matter the depth of darkness that you find yourself in. It doesn't matter if you feel forgotten. It doesn't matter how far you've removed. Find yourself in jail and dungeon. It doesn't matter how, how often or how badly you are wronged and framed. Never forget the purposes of God upon your life. And that is very much the central theme of the message of Joseph. Perhaps that's how you read Scripture. I know for a long time that's how I read Scripture. And then the New World theologians came together. They prayed, they studied, they read, they came together, and, and they got their best communicator to stand up and to share. And he shared the message of Joseph, and he told the whole story, and he came to his conclusion. He said the central message of the story of Joseph is that it does not matter how dark, depth you fall into, how betrayed you feel. It doesn't matter how far removed you feel or the deep dungeon that you find yourself. It doesn't matter how despondent and forgotten you feel in your life. It doesn't matter how the darkness you go through. Never, ever forget your extended family. We laugh about it, but it's amazing how we read exactly the same scripture. And we sometimes read it. What is it? For me, for me. And yet sometimes there's a whole different meaning and I think there's incredible amount of value to both of them. You see, Joseph, his brothers came. Yes, he played a practical joke on him because brothers have to do that. And he had his younger brother imprisoned. Go read the story. It's, you know, boys do that to one another. Make their brothers really stress. <laughs> he framed him. He put the king's glass cup, I think it was. Not glass cup, gold cup in the bag of wheat that they came to buy from him because there was a big famine in the land and he recognized his brothers, but his brothers didn't recognize him, obviously. And He sent them away and then he sent guards after them. Police said, they stole my gold, go find them. <laughs> and this youngest brother, his real brother who was born after he was gone, his youngest brother, who's the only one left, because when his youngest brother died, his, their mom died. And he says, dad, all his dad has left. He says, they throw him in jail, and you can imagine the brothers going into panic. But he never forgot his brothers, and he moved, and the whole family came and moved, and they dwelt under the hand and the favor of the king in Egypt. I wonder how we read Scripture. Do we read it? Westernized, individualized Scripture is all about me. When I read in Scripture and I read the stories and I read the letters, I, I know it says you, but kind of I read me. I wonder if that's how we read Scripture. 
more about that in a moment. Acts chapter 2. The early church, the first church coming together. We don't know exactly how big this church was, how many people were gathered together. We do know there were 120 people in the upper room. So Jesus came and for 30 years he lived and for about three years he ministered and then he died and he was crucified on the cross. He rose from the death. He ascended to heaven. And about out of the multitudes that he'd been ministering to, about 120 remained faithful. And they're there praying in the upper room. The Holy Spirit gets poured out upon them. And from there, they step out. Peter preaches, and about 3,000 people that day made a commitment to follow Christ. So we know we've got about 3,120 already. Could be more. Some of them could have fallen away a little bit. We don't quite know exactly, but it was a significant group of people. What did they do? They continued daily with one accord in the temple, in unity, breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we've got this group, and this group is growing, and it's a a beautiful sort of, kind of, if you study church, this is kind of the nostalgic church passage in Scripture. Every church leader yearns for Acts chapter 2, this time where God was adding daily to the church when there was perfect unity and people were sharing everything they had in common and there was just this beautiful synergy amongst the church. But in the midst of that, we see this two-pronged nature of their gathering. They would come together in the temple in the big group. The 3,000 people, we don't know if they were all there every night or exactly how it worked, but there were regular big group meetings in the temple. And then there was, hey, let's get into personal private spaces with each other. There was this appreciation and an understanding that part of Christian community is we gather in big group and then we gather in small group. We gather in large public space where Perhaps something we don't quite know, but perhaps something a little bit similar to what we're doing this evening would happen. And then we gather in space where we can all share with each other. We can all talk. Where somebody can look me in the eyes and say, how are you doing? And there's space for me to answer. Where somebody can say, I know you went through this. You said you were going to. How did it go? Did you go and speak to this person? Did you make right with that person? Did you apologize? Just follow through this. What is God saying to you? What is God leading you to do? What is the stuff you're going through? Can we pray together around those things? And there was this beautiful synergy in the church coming together around these two meeting points that they would all partake in. There was the partaking in the large group and there was the partaking in the small group. We've got this nice slogan that kind of exists in, in church circles, excuse the pun, that Circles are better than rows. As much as in church environment, rows like we're sitting in this evening, it's not the worst thing ever. But there's something beautiful when we can move into a circle environment. When we can take the long row where we're all looking at one person and we can make it a circle and we can look at each other. And we can share together and we can become part of one another's lives. I think we can all, I just mentioned this earlier, I think we can all see that, the, you know, the culture we live in, spoke about it this morning with the children we're raising. What is the culture we want to raise our children in? 
What is the environment we want to create? And I know many of us here probably aren't parents quite yet. Anri is well in her way. And Neil. For the rest of us, it's maybe still a little bit far off. But I wonder if we think, you know, we bring our children into, our, into this world. What is it, the way in which we want to raise them? What is it, the way in which I want to live my life? And pretty much all of, I'm not a big fan of, of media of any type. You know, the good movie from time to time is, is fun. Here's something we need to remind ourselves is that all of that is pushing an agenda. Any movie you watch, any newspaper you pick up, any website you visit, it's pushing an agenda. What do I mean by that? You know, I'm not a big follower of sort of American politics. I've got a brother who lives in the U.S. and sort of that's how connected at most I am. Came to visit me yesterday. It was really nice. He brought me stuff from Amazon. Um, but... You know, I've learned just over years of just being interested in world events. From time to time, there's breaking news in the U.S. I kind of want to figure out what's going on there just because I like to know stuff. Curious in that sense, inquisitive. But you know what I've learned? I don't go and open CNN and read CNN. I open CNN and USA Today and Fox News. And you know the crazy thing is? They, in a sense, sort of have the same facts, but it's like you're reading three different stories. It's different people telling different stories because each one of those news outlets is deliberate about pushing an agenda. They want an angle. They, they want an outcome. They want to draw people into a certain way of viewing the world. South Africa, it's exactly the same. We're just so in it, we don't always see it. The world we live in, if you turn on TV, you know one of the things I was, this morning I was saying, you know, with my daughters, every advert they see, it's important that you teach kids this from a young time. Skip the advert, because you know what that advert is designed to do? It's designed to make you want something you don't need. It's designed to make you want for them, you know, it's the Lego set or the Barbie doll or this. Is nothing wrong? Hey, perhaps we can get it for you, but the ad makes you feel like you need it. You know, your life is empty without it. like I'm amazed, you know, I, I love technology, but I'm amazed by kind of people who have last year's cell phone, and this year's cell phone comes out, and we spend overnight in a queue waiting to buy the cell phone, spend nowadays sort of a car's worth of money on the cell phone. It's as if if I don't buy it tomorrow morning, my, my life is going to be empty, you know, the cell phone that I had last year, it's still perfectly functional, but there's this one new little niche thing that this new cell phone has, and if I don't have that, then I'm, my life is meaningless. <laughs> you know? It's a little bit of extreme, but, but it's amazing how if we dig down and we slow down, how much of that we find in our lives. In the same way, how much of all of our lives and so much of the adverts and so much of the movies, do you know what they all want us to believe in? And be committed to and following me. The Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I. It's all individualistic. It's all, and we take that and we, and we read scriptures and we think that, you know what, the most important thing when I'm following Jesus? It's me. It's my quiet time. 
It's my interpretation of the word. It's my comfort. And yet scripture is at pains to say, no, no, no. Paul says, I want you to live as citizens of heaven. And living as citizens of heaven, of heaven means it's not about me. Yes, it's also about me. I must look out for the interests of others. Also, the implication is I mustn't stop looking out for my interests, but I, I must esteem others as better than myself. Those are high bars that he puts there for us. In the early church, there was this moment where they bought into it. But contemporary culture drives us away from community and towards individualism. And then we create these pseudo-communities that are devoid of any human interaction. It drives us away from, I love my daughters, I really do. And from time to time, they just get really nice ideas. So my daughter, six years old, had to do a speech at school the other day. And there were three topics that they had to choose, and I can't even remember which one she chose, kind of what the theme was. But I, but I remember how she opened. It was in Afrikaans, but I, she opened, there's a new thief in our house. It steals our attention and our manners. It steals our ability to listen and to spend time with one another in the carrier. And she says, and the thief is the TV and the cell phone. The thief that has come in. And I just so love the thing that comes from her. Just the insight to know that it's fun watching YouTube videos. But I need to know at the back of my mind, I, I need to remember that it's driving me away if I allow it to open kind of to take a unhealthy place from what's important in life. And so our whole life, our whole society, our culture, and we're very, best, very westernized, most of us, the way in which we live, is driving us towards individualism. Even as Christians. Can I throw something out there? I remember when I was a student, I heard someone praying, someone speaking, and he, he said, you know, he's been in many prayer meetings, he's prayed with many people. And he used this figuratively, but it's the example that stuck with me, so I'm going to use it now. He was speaking to a group of, of working people. He says, I've been in countless prayer meetings, praying with somebody or praying with somebody, someone coming to praying with me and saying, will you pray with me for my new Audi? That was the example he used. But he said, I cannot remember a single person coming to me and saying, will you pray with me for my friend's Audi? Can I throw that out there? If you, were, if you had taped your prayers for the last week, how much time in your prayer was about me, my breakthrough, my thing that I need, my revelation, my understanding, something for me, 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 and how much of your prayer was God, but my friend, my brother, the person around me, my colleague, my classmate, they going through some stuff. It comes to trench to know who we are and, as church, it's interesting because that's what the word means. We'll look at that in a moment. We need to be deliberate about saying, but I don't want to go that way. I don't want to go towards individualism, and I definitely don't want to go towards pseudo-community. What I mean by pseudo-community, it's these communities that we create that has no human interaction. I have community with somebody on the other side of a computer or a WhatsApp or a Facebook. I never see the person. I never meet the person, but... But we connected in some way. 
There's no true connection. There's this desire for community, and I think that's one of the reasons why these social media sites do so amazingly well, because we want to be connected to people. But then instead of connecting with people, we connect to devices with the idea in our mind that we're connecting with people. The New Testament texts, if you were to read them, hopefully you do regularly, they assume community among its readers. They're primarily, primarily written in plural form to communities, and only very rarely and in specific cases do they address individuals. And it's important for us to remember that. That as we read the New Testament texts, they're not written to individuals. And, hey, here's a little surprise. They're not written to you. Doesn't mean they don't apply to you, but when the New Testament authors sat down and they wrote the text, they didn't think, "Hmm, let me just think about wording here, because in 2019, there's going to be a guy called Philip, and I actually want to write this letter to him. That's not what they were thinking. The Holy Spirit was 100% aware of that when he inspired them to write the letters, but the human authors sitting down, that's not what they were thinking. They were thinking, I'm writing a letter to a community, to a group of believers, in this case, in Philippi, a city. And then when you begin to understand that in Scripture, you realize that most of Scripture, especially the New Testament, the theme carries through from the Old Testament very much, is community-based. It's collective. It's plural. It's not addressed to individuals. As a matter of fact, the very word that we have today, church, it's, for me, in a sense, it's a blessing, but at the same time, it's a little bit sad that we use church, which is a very defined word. What I mean by that, church has a singular application in the English language. But the word which comes from is the word ecclesia, the Greek word. So if we read in Acts there and God adds, the Lord added to the church, the word that there in the original text would be, is the word ecclesia, which literally means to call out of. And it was used to denote sort of a, a modern word for that would be a, a gathering or an assembly, a coming together. So for the early church and even the early church writers, they would read, and if you get a letter like this, you would read it. You wouldn't read church in terms of a context within a very defined spiritual context. You just read, and the Lord added to the assembly. What I like about reading it in that context is it helps me to realize that the church isn't an organization. The church isn't a building. The church isn't a space. The church is a group of people coming together. That's what church is. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are church. And the moment we come together, that's church. Church. It's a call out once. Used as a reference of the gathering together of people. It was a common word. And People would have understood it immediately when Jesus said, and I will build my church. We don't know what the Aramaic word was that it used, but the Bible writers, when they wrote it, they used church, and that was a word, ecclesia, that any Greek person would have understood immediately. It wouldn't have had to be explained to them. It was, in a sense, a common word, a word which was used in many contexts. So we come together here in gathering, church, community. So having said all of that, I'd like us to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, and let us hold tightly 
without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. We sang that so beautifully earlier, so much twice tonight. God is faithful. He can be trusted. So let's hold on to that promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Can I throw this out there? If you must be on social media, I'm on social media as well. It's not, but if you must be on social media, how about you make this your motto? Let me think of ways to motivate people to love and good works. Am I coming together with people even better? Let me think of ways to motivate one another to love and good works. As we're going around doing what we're doing in our gathering, in our meeting, that should be fundamental to all we are. And that's one of the reasons that kind of the media really frustrates me. Because if I do read media, South African media, I don't read the author, the editor, the journalist sitting, let me today write a story that's going to motivate people towards love and good works. Sadly not. That's very clearly not the agenda of the media we have in South Africa. We have a media that's about dividing and separating and spoiling. And there are great things happening around the country all the time, but they never get any space in media because they don't serve that agenda. And maybe the agenda is kind of we want to be sensational because sensational draws clicks, sensational sells advertising space. So I want to just, some of you never read the news. In a sense, that's amazing. For those of us that do read the news, learn to discern and to plug out. My wife is a, a very intense person, and what I mean by that, when she gets into it, she really gets into it. She doesn't get interested by everything, that kind of, a whole bunch of stuff, kind of little, just in a sense, pass her by, but something will grab her eye, and she'll get in, she'll, then she'll dig into that, commit to it completely. So she's had to learn, she doesn't read news, and if she does, she only reads the headlines. Because what happens is she reads a story and she gets into it and she, re and she maybe reads a negative story, something that is not aimed at stirring at love and good works and it upsets her and it, she doesn't sleep. It steals her peace and you know, none of that is worth it. It's better for her not to be ignorant. She knows what's going on in life, but she, she knows she's learned to establish that there are some boundaries around her that for her own peace, she doesn't need to dig into that. And some of us, I was the same. I, I used to listen to a local talk radio station regularly, just driving to work and driving home or whatever on the car radio. And one day I realized this is so negative, so agenda-driven, so not stirring up love and good works. Let me just rather pop in a CD. Let me rather either listen to audio books or listen to music or just something that's aimed at stirring at love and good works. I'm not saying be ignorant around the world. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is let's put up filters when we read from the media. And even more, I'm saying that when we do engage in public space, why don't we be people who stir up love and good works, who post things that draw people together, that unite, that celebrate the beauty that God has placed in our midst and not just run to the panic stations, the clickbait, the fake news that, gets people into a panic and into a, all sorts of kind of anxiety and those other things that can happen. But let's stir up love and a little bit off topic, but anyway, good works. 
And then watch verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Every time I read scripture, and perhaps this isn't the worst way to read scripture, so maybe you can do it too. One of the things I ask is why, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't quite know who it was, when he or she wrote this, why did they put that sentence there? Let us not neglect our meeting together. And I think in this context, the next verse, the next phrase actually tells us why, because some people do that. Some of us do. Can I just say again that when we choose to follow Jesus, we cannot choose what that will look like. Following Jesus isn't always comfortable. Here's a crazy thought. What if following Jesus put certain demands on your time? What if following Jesus required you to not only behave and act in a certain way, but what if following Jesus required you to be in certain spaces at certain times? And maybe if you read Hebrews, there's a bit of that, do not neglect the meeting together, as some of us do. And this evening, I want to encourage us, and you guys are already here, that is so amazing. I want to encourage us and say, if we truly committed to following Jesus, then this type of gathering, our small group gatherings, we have to really super, just in our hearts, consider Jesus is, is this an optional thing? Is it something I do when I feel good about it? Is it something I do when I, I'm in a good space? I'm, yeah, I'm, it's convenient tonight. I'm going to mention a couple of reasons now. But before we get there, you know, from time to time, I, I hear people saying, I can't go to small group tonight because I'm sick. Maybe I'm wired, weird, and different, but I'm going to put my hand up and say, wait, aren't you missing the whole point? Isn't that the best time to go to small group? Or if you can't go because you're sort of sick, real sick, sick, why don't you say, hey, guys, don't you want to come and have small group at my house and pray for me while you're here? I remember a time at, at Varsity when I was super sick, I had malaria. It's not fun. And kind of you, you get these cycles, just for those who understand the malaria, kind of a, you feel almost fine and then you almost dead. And then six hours later, you're almost fine and then you're almost dead. And it's this crazy cycle that kind of your body is, is not very good at dealing with. But you know, Sunday morning came around and I woke up. And maybe and way before I was a pastor, I was just a student studying. There was only one thing I wanted to do that morning. I wanted to get up and go to church. Go lift high the name of Jesus. Yes, I was feeling like death, but I also know that, hey, if I'm going to die, I want to die worshiping Jesus. <laughs> but I also know that, you know, there's something that happens in my spirit when I lift up the name of Jesus. There's something that happens when we're around the people of God. There's something. So what did I do? Kind of, I actually went and spent half the, there was a foyer and sort of a mother's room in the foyer at the church at the time. And I spent most of the service on the couch in the foyer, sort of in the parents' room. But you know, I would rather be there than lying in my bed at home. So since, just as a student, kind of, I remember since I, I came to Christ Wednesday nights because those would just typically be the nights that we did small groups. For me, 
have never been an optional thing. Not because I'm super spiritual, but because there's something about that I've just understood about the gathering of the people of God. When Jesus said, where two or three of you gather in my name, I am there and I want to be there. I want to be there. And so I want to just briefly to perhaps look at, at three reasons when it comes to small groups specifically and maybe big group like this as well. Reasons why some of us might not, might not go. And maybe as the scripture says there, our duty is let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another. This evening, I want to encourage you a little bit. I want to encourage you around maybe just something in my heart about gathering together with the people of God. The first reason we, we often hear is that I don't see the value. Yes, small group is great, but, you know, it's sort of an optional thing. I'd like to go, maybe, maybe not. And apart from the the norm that I've tried to paint for us a little bit, that Christian faith following Jesus authentically requires community. Maklatsi shared about this passage as well when he was here. I preached that about a year before he came, that he did it so much better than I did. But I just want to read this passage again for us. From 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. That's a really cool definition of God. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying. Watch this. We are lying. That's you and me. If we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, we're lying. Sometimes when we read scripture, it exposes the lies in our own hearts. And maybe you don't have any lies in your heart. Often when I read scripture, I realize lies in my heart. We are not practicing the truth. When are we not practicing the truth? When we say we have fellowship with God, but we live in spiritual darkness. But if we are living in the light, so what does it look like when we're not living in darkness? When we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. The Bible kind of by implication there makes a, a really profound statement. That us not committing in fellowship and to miss McClatch's message, I'd encourage you to download because he explained fellowship so much better than I ever could. But it's that togetherness, a deliberate togetherness. If we're not living in deliberate togetherness with other believers, we are lying to ourselves and not following God. That's quite a hard statement to make. It's exactly what John writes for us there. Though. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, that means we have fellowship with each other. That requires us to have fellowship with each other. And if we have fellowship with each other, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There is an immense value in our meeting together. When the author to the Hebrews says, don't neglect it, he's not just saying it because he wants people to come to a big church gathering. When we read scripture there, Holy Spirit didn't have the author write it there because he wants us to have big meetings all around the planet. He wrote it there because there is something intrinsic to our following of Christ that only happens in community. There's value in it. Let's not be liars to ourselves saying we're following Jesus, but we're not deliberately engaging in fellowship. A second reason we, we often hear is I don't fit. 
I don't fit, they're different, you know, I'm different, people don't understand me, and all of those things that we often hear, you know, they're probably true. I've got two passages for you, just by way of encouragement this evening. Firstly is Ephesians chapter 1, even before he, that's God, made the world, God loved us, see the plural here, (laughs) and chose us, but that includes you, in Christ, to be holy and without, without fault in his eyes. Not without fault, just without fault in his eyes because of his blood. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us by himself, of bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You belong in the family of God. You belong. doesn't matter how different you think you are. You are not too different for the family of God. You belong in the family of God. Don't ever let the devil come and lie to you and say, you don't belong, you don't fit. You do. The flip side of the coin is another passage that many of us might know well. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We're meant to be different. We're meant to be different. I was saying this morning that some of the most precious people in my life, the relationships I've learned to value the most are the people who are most different to me. I need them in my life. The easy thing to do is to say, you think different, you dress different, you talk different, you pray different, you're not meant to be. I'm just going to go here and huddle with the people who think like me, pray like me, dress like me, talk like me, act like me. You know, the moment we do that, we remove the ability, the God-given gift of these people to sharpen me. So yes, when we get in small group, it's not always comfortable. Yes, when we get in those intimate spaces, around a table, sharing a meal, saying what's going, yes, we get misunderstood. But the glory, the beauty, the God work that he does in us happens exactly in those moments. Where in that moment, I slow down and I say, wait a minute. Okay, Philippians 1 and 2 says, I must esteem others better than me. Okay, so right now, I don't like you very much, but the Bible tells me you're better than me. And I must look out for your interests and not just mine. So tell me a little bit what you're going through. Why do you say that? Why do you experience it that way? I think you're very wrong, but that's not the point. Tell me why you see it the way you see it. Oh, when you put it that way, maybe you're not so wrong. Maybe there's, there's a little bit of value. I, I, I didn't see that angle. I still think you're wrong, just a little bit less wrong. Oh, shucks, maybe I'm a little bit wrong. And there's something so beautiful that happens in those spaces where we come together. I found in my life it is very, very hard for me to look out for the interests of others, to esteem others as better than me when they're on the other side of the continent. I find it very hard, just personally, just the way I'm wired. But you know, when I sit around them, when I look them in the eye, when we have a conversation, when we talk, when I get to know them a little bit, you know, suddenly it's a little bit easier to look out for their interests. It's easier to understand where they're coming from. So yes, you don't fit. But that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Because two things need to happen. Number one, you need to sharpen the other people in the small group, in the gathering, in the community. But here's the hard one. 
you need to be sharpened too. There's some parts where we need to learn to conform, to change, to think differently. We all need to change. You know, I love this big group environment. I love church environment. I, I really do love it. And I think there's so much power in what we do together and praying together and worshiping together. But you know, for me, where the most profound life changes happen, the vast majority of, his, vast majority of it has been in small groups. Where somebody can look at me and fill up and say, wait, last week you said that, this week you're saying this, what's going on? Hey, Philip, I heard the way you're talking to your wife. That's probably not the, can we talk about that? Chucks, Philip, I see you really struggling. Can I help with that? Wow, I saw what you did the weekend. I heard that was amazing. Can we just celebrate it with you? You know, all of those are conversations that we can't have here so much this evening, as much as we'd love to. Yes, you don't fit, but that's kind of the point. You belong. You do belong. But you're a little bit different. And we all are. And then the last one for this evening. And here I'm not even going to put scripture up on it because sometimes wisdom is just fine and keeping it simple. I believe it's scriptural too. The one we often hear, I don't have time. Well, you always have time for the things you do first. I don't have time is just a different way of saying it's not priority, it's not important to me. It works really nicely in Afrikaans. Get all that tight for your priority. You always have time for your priority. The things you do first, you'll always have time for. And I know those of you who are students, you don't believe me, but let me say it anyway. Maybe at some stage you'll believe me. You right now have more time, disposable time, than you will have at any other stage in your life. Maybe you'll have this amount of time again one day when you... Maybe when the kids are out of the house, if you do get married and get kids, but otherwise when you, when you retire. And I know that sounds extreme, but just take it from me for a moment. Right now as a student, you have more disposable time than you will have for a very long time. You don't have... You know, and with families, with little kids, you know, we need to work around... Because there's a difference between comfort and convenience. And we can't only do what is convenient and comfortable. But, you know, sometimes we need to rearrange things just for practicality, for convenience. You know, you can't have small group till 10 o'clock at night when you've got three-year-olds around and school tomorrow and all of those type of things. You need to keep that in mind. But for the majority of us here, that's not a factor. You know, if we're not going and regularly making a priority commitment around small group, All it says is, I don't believe in that thing that's happening there. And I hope, by way of encouragement a little, but I want to encourage us this evening to rethink that, if that is where our heart is at a little bit. So, hey, maybe Scripture has a point. Maybe for this evening, Philip's reading of Scripture around these elements has a point. That Maybe God wants me to be there, especially when it's inconvenient. I, those are the times I've found that I've grown the most. I don't grow most when I'm at my most comfortable. I grow most when I'm at my most inconvenient, when I'm stretched, when I'm, shucks, I really don't want to go now. One of the most powerful ministry moments that I've ever been a part of 
was when I was going through just a really, really, really rough time personally. I got some crazy bad news. Don't have to go into it now. I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday. And that Wednesday night, we had small group. And you know, the convenient thing would have been, hey, guys, I'm not coming. That would have been a convenient thing. I was leading the small group as well, kind of made it a little bit harder to do. But that thought never crossed my mind because that's exactly, I want those guys around me. And I went into that space and I was really broken on the, just torn on the inside. And I was like, hey, guys, this evening, I just want to pray for you. And the spirit of prophecy moved that evening in a way that I haven't experienced many times in my life. When somehow I just came in the midst of my brokenness, and I just realized in the midst of my brokenness, the Bible still is true, and it's still more blessed to give than to receive. So right now I need a whole bunch of stuff, but probably what I need more than anything else is to, to esteem others better than me, to lift them up. And the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully in that evening. We always have time for the things we do first. We always have time for those things. Are we encouraged a little bit this evening? I hope so. I'd like us to stand. I want to close with one passage. I think I might have written 1 Timothy 2.22. That's a typo. It should be 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, flee also youthful lusts, which is a really important principle. But for another evening, I want us to focus on the setup second part this evening. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. As we leave this evening, that's my question for you. Who are the those that you are pursuing the purposes of God with? Who are the those? Who are the people that you've surrounded yourself with, that you can pray with, that you can phone, that you can gather together to? Small group definitely isn't the only space to do it in. But just for us as a church and a church model, church small group is a great space to do it in. I want to encourage all of us, if we're not in the small group yet, to pray about one. Maybe so much this evening, not so much to pray about, but hey, maybe that's what God wants. Maybe I should commit to going for a season. You know, commit for me is a really easy thing. It means for my adult life since I've followed Christ, when I get an invitation on Wednesday evening, the answer is easy. Because I've already made a commitment for Wednesday evening. There's something I'm doing. Yes, I know and there have been one or two exceptional times. Obviously, we will make exceptions. But you know, there's to be a very, 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 very good reason for me not to meet with the people that we're walking a road with, that we're gathering together. To come together and say, Jesus, this is a priority in my life. Because your people... Your community. I'm a citizen of heaven. And so I want to live according to what is required of a citizen of heaven here on this earth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, tonight, I want to thank you for your abundant goodness. Your goodness which really knows no end. And as we sang and as we read, that you are faithful to complete your promises. Jesus, thank you that as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. And thank you that you have called us to community. Thank you that this evening as we gather, you've in many of our hearts just done something so beautiful and precious about community. God, I know in a very real sense this evening, I'm sort of preaching at the choir. 
to those who are here because it's important for them to be here. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that work you've done in our hearts. And I pray for everyone here, God, that you would bring us to a place of truly authentic community. That you would surround us with others who we can pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with. That we may grow in community. That we may grow in esteeming others better than ourselves. In not being selfish. Because we know where the hearts and the needs of others are. That we won't just look out only for our own interests, but we'll take an interest in others too. God, I pray that you'd help us, that we may stand together with one spirit and one purpose. That we may fight together for the faith, which is the good news. Knit our hearts together more than you ever have in the past. Lead us in community. God, we look at the church and acts and we want to say something of Jesus. Do that in our hearts. Make us meet daily in the temple and from house to house. May we share our meals and eat our food with gladness and simplicity, Lord. May we have favor with all the people. God, would you add daily to us those who are coming to know you. This evening, if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Actually, I'm going to ask us to maybe do something that we do from time to time, a little bit different. As we close this evening, just as we've been speaking about community, can we turn in groups of two or three to one another and just spend a moment praying for each other? Maybe if there's something that you need to share, you can share it briefly. Fortunately, we don't have hours this evening, but on Wednesday or Thursday or Tuesday or whenever the small group that you're a part of meets, there will be time. If you'd like to join a small group, you can just give your name in at the information station. We'd love to contact you in the week with a small group that's close to you. Let's take a few moments and pray together, and then Martin and the team are going to continue to lead us in a time of song, and if you need to hang around, you can do that. Spend time in his presence. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. There is coffee and tea outside. Hang around. Have some coffee and tea. Love to get to know you guys a little bit better. For those of you who are newish, and to remember, sorry, remember the hello evening tomorrow night. That's going to be really precious. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Let's take a few moments and just pray together before we leave this evening. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.